Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is presented by WinBet. WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Louisiana, Michigan, New Jersey, New York, Tennessee, and Virginia. For boosted same-game parlays to live in-game odds, WinBet has what you need to win. Sign up today, bet $100, and get $100 at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash winbet, thesportsgamblingpodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. Straight state restrictions apply. We're also brought to you by the SGPN's Big Game Squares Contest. $1,000 prize pool and completely free to enter. Just go to sportsgampodcast.com slash squares to enter today. We're also brought to you by SGPN's Big Game Bingo. $57 SGPN gift card for every bingo hit exclusively on the SGPN app. And if you are out in Arizona for the big game, make sure to check out SGP's live show at the Ainsworth Thursday, 11 a.m. Register today at sportsgampodcast.com slash B-I-G-G-A-M-E. And welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast here on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. It's currently Sunday, February 5th. I'm your host, as always, Scott Rachel, going solo for this pod. And we got a lot of tournaments to go through. We got three, as a matter of fact. I was kind of hoping we would have some tournaments uh, last week, but of course you had some Davis Cup action right after the Australian Open. So as a result, we are going to uh, go through a brief recap of what happened in the Australian Open, and then we're going to talk about the three tournaments with a preview style, the usual format, go through the draws, go through the actual outrights that we like. Unfortunately, I don't see any quarter odds available uh, because there's still some qualifying matches going on Sunday morning. So as a result, we're going to deal with what we have, and that is going through everything except for the quarters. But starting off with the actual picks from the last episode and the recap of the Australian Open final, uh, we ended up not doing well. We went 0-2. It was one of those matches where if you remember the show, you know I wasn't exactly the most confident with those picks, but since the format obviously is a lock and dog every episode, I was going to have to deal with it and try to find what plays I guess I liked the most. And unfortunately, we ended up going over. We leaned to the over three and a half sets, so that was what we took for the lock in the Sitsipas Djokovic match at minus 140. And then we also took the over Sitsipas breaks on Djokovic at, I think it was two and a half at even money. The breaks I wasn't a big fan of, but to be honest, there wasn't really much plus money plays that I, there wasn't many plus money options that I actually liked. And I don't think any plus money plays really hit besides the Djokovic under for total breaks in the match. But yeah, there really wasn't much uh, that cashed as an underdog bet there. And as a result, we lost the dog as for the lock. I don't want to call it a bad beat, but definitely an unfortunate loss. We had a set point there in the second set, and then Sissy Poss punted in the tie break. And then we also had Sissy Poss up a break to start the third set. And then he immediately gave it right back, and he lost the final two sets in tie break. So Sissy Poss did have a set point and did have a lead in the uh, third set by a break. And unfortunately, he wasn't able to hold on. And when Djokovic won in straight sets, it's what happens when you bet against the greatest player of all time. And I can't even say I fully bet against him because I said on the show I thought Djokovic would win. I just thought there was value on Pass to actually win a set because he had been playing very well. And it was just classic Pass. There's really not much more to add there. It was a situation where he looked pretty good for decent portions of the match. However, the unforced error count was absurd. He kept shanking shots in long rallies, which caused him to blow a bunch of points that he kind of needed. And his serve was solid. Started off extremely shaky, but he kind of settled in, and that was definitely a strength of his. 
But his return game was really non-existent. Djokovic didn't have many issues at all with his serve holding, uh, with the exception of the first game and the third set, and you had a couple of deuces here and there, maybe a break point here and there for Tsitsipas. But for the most part, Djokovic really served well, and Tsitsipas didn't threaten in most service games. And Djokovic threatened in a lot of them. Now, Tsitsipas was able to hold a lot of the time, but you constantly saw 15-15, 30-15, stuff like that, 40-30. Djokovic was still forcing Tsitsipas to play a decent amount of points on his serve compared to Djokovic's own service games. And, yeah, the constant pressure eventually caused Tsitsipas to get broken a couple of times. But reports came out after the event that Djokovic had about a... Uh, he had a tear, basically, in his hamstring. And whether you believe it or or you don't, either way, point is Djokovic was cruelly compromised, and he was able to only drop one set into the entire tournament. Uh, yeah, not really much more to add there. It's his 10th Australian Open title. It's his 22nd career Grand Slam title. He's tied with Nadal again. Nadal now is not... I don't believe, even believe he's in the top two or three in the French Open. So there are some serious... In terms of future odds. So there's a good chance Nadal finishes his career at 22. Based on what we've seen lately, the health has deteriorated very quickly, and it's extremely difficult for a player like Nadal, who just relies on his elite movement in order to dominate opposition for his entire career. And now with the abdomen injury in the U.S. Open, not to mention the injury that he had in the summer, and now he's also battling – he's kind of just been battling separate injuries, and of course he ended up getting killed by McDonald and – that was because he also got injured midway through that set. The point is, you're looking at Nadal, whether it's a hip injury, a leg injury, an abdomen injury. He's had a lot of injuries the last couple of months, and that usually is the sign of the end. And I'm not saying Nadal is going to be a bad player moving forward, but when it comes down to his body holding up in these Grand Slam events, three out of five, of course, doesn't make it any easier in the men's circuit. I don't think Nadal is going to win again. I just really think that at this point, you're assuming Alcaraz will be back in the French Open. I'm not sure how good he's going to look. Djokovic is favored to win the French Open this year. Uh, he gave Nadal a run for his money in the French Open last year, and I believe the quarters. Still crazy they had to face off in the quarters. But the point is, I don't think Nadal is going to win another one. It's an interesting conversation to talk about how many Djokovic can get to because with Nadal, as far as I'm concerned, out of the picture, and... To be totally honest, besides Clay, Djokovic has owned Nadal for the last decade. You, you can go through the hardcourt matches. Nadal barely wins sets against Djokovic on hardcourt. So uh, I think Djokovic is kind of just on his own right now. You can make an argument Alcaraz could be a serious threat in the French Open or in the U.S. Open. I don't think he's going to beat Djokovic on grass. Uh, nobody's really been able to beat Djokovic on grass for years. So... The point is, you're looking at Djokovic and assuming that he doesn't have any injury setbacks and assuming he can stay healthy, does he have a shot to get to like 27, 28 Grand Slams? Like, I know that sounds crazy because he's at 22. I don't know who's going to beat him. He's number one in the world again because he beat Tsitsipas. He owns Tsitsipas. You're, go you're going through the other main guys. Rude has fallen apart. Uh, Alcaraz has gotten injured, so we'll see what he looks like in the rehab process. I'm assuming he'll be fine because he's still very young, so he should be able to rehab quite nicely. But is he ready to be Djokovic 3 out of 5? I don't know. I know he won the U.S. Open. I'm not going to fully crown him as being the guy who's ready to be Djokovic's next rival because Djokovic wasn't at the U.S. Open. So Medvedev's fallen off a cliff as well, and he beat Djokovic in the U.S. Open. But the point is, Djokovic, if he stays healthy, which... 
we've seen him kind of do ever since he had those issues, I don't even know, like eight years ago when he was losing to Istamin and company in the Australian Open. He might be running unopposed here. Uh, he really has a shot to, I don't want to say get the calendar grand slam, because I know we're only one in and that sounds crazy, even though people are kind of penciling him as a shoe-in to win Wimbledon again. But he was one short, he's one match short a couple of years ago, losing to Medvedev in the U.S. Open for the calendar grand slam. Just saying you're looking around the tennis landscape, and if Nadal is definitely past his prime and has potential health issues, and let's say that Nadal isn't as big of a threat in the French Open as he always is because he wins it every year, I think Djokovic has a great chance to win the calendar grand slam. I wouldn't say a great chance. I'd say a reasonable chance. Let's go reasonable is the word I'll use. Could he get to 28? Could he get to 30? I I don't know. Djokovic is just defying all age. Uh, 35 is the new 25, apparently, according to Djokovic. And I believe it because nobody can stop him and he's a machine. So I think Djokovic, once again, is the greatest player of all time. I think that by the time he retires, he will be several Grand Slam titles ahead of Nadal. And even if you prefer Federer or if you prefer Nadal, I know Djokovic has not always been the most liked guy on tour. Doesn't help when you're against two of the most likable guys in the history of the sport, looking at Federer and Nadal at the same time as you. And they actually peaked. I can't even say peaked. They burst. They ended up uh, bursting onto the scene faster than you. So you're kind of playing third fiddle to the fans uh, all over the world. Whether you like Djokovic or not, it doesn't matter. If you go objectively, I think he's the greatest player of all time. And I think by the time he retires, it will be obvious as far as I'm concerned. But to look at everything else, once again, uh, Djokovic beats Sitsipas. As for Sitsipas, I am not surprised. Uh, Great job by him, though, making it to the final after losing in the first round of the U.S. Open. Kind of messed with the coaching staff a bit, and it seemed to finally pay some dividends And as a result, he made a deep run. Unfortunately, couldn't win again. And I'm curious if he'll ever break through. I don't think he will, as long as Djokovic is around. I have too many questions about his mental toughness. But overall, nothing new from Tsitsipas. I was just hoping he'd win a set, and he did not do that. But once again, the plan for the episode is going to be to go through the three, count them, three ATP tournaments. We have two hardcore tournaments, and we have one clay court tournament. Uh, which should be a lot of fun to go through. Uh, but before we get into any of those breakdowns, I want to take a quick word from our sponsors. WinBet is the official online sportsbook of the Sports Game Podcast Network. WinBet is active in a bunch of states, and there are a ton of ways to win, including live betting and same-game parlays, a.k.a. WinBet's Build Your Own Bet. And on top of that, there's one NFL game left. The big game is here, and WinBet has you covered. Great promos, odds, and payouts are happening right now at WinBet. Ready to play? Sign up today to receive a special offer. Bet $100 and get $100 limited state availability. And of course, if you hit the biggest long shot parlay of the week, you get a $1,000 free credit just as an extra bonus. There is so much to choose from, and all you have to do is head over to sportscampodcast.com slash winbet, so they know we send you. That's sportscampodcast.com slash W-Y-N-N-B-E-T. Offer subject to change terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough women is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. And if you're going to be out in Arizona for the big game, make sure to check out SGP's live show at the Ainsworth Thursday, 11 a.m. 
Register today at sportscampodcast.com slash big game. The show is free, and you'll be able to watch the show and have some drinks with the guys at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash big game. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished briefly recapping the final of the Australian Open. Shocker, Djokovic won again, rinse and repeat. But looking at the upcoming schedule, you have three tournaments as the ATP schedule is exploding after it had a week off because of the Davis Cup stuff. Shout out to Aranka, by the way. Quick plug for him as he was able to propel Switzerland to an, uh, to advancing in the qualifiers. They beat Germany. I believe he beat Altmaier in three, but it's nice to see uh, Waranka even past his prime competing just for national pride, and I'm happy for him. But that's kind of just a brief segue anyway. Point is we got three tournaments to go through, and for this one, we have a match. We have one taking place in America, one taking place in France, and one taking place in Argentina. So starting off with the actual uh, – I'm trying to think of how – of which order we should go because we're well in advance. You know what? We're going to go with the lone clay tournament first taking place in Cordoba, Argentina. And if you look at the historical matchups or the historical champions, it's all over the place. This is probably the biggest crapshoot tournament of the entire year. And it's a lot, a lot of fun. But if you want to go through the four years that this tournament has existed, at least since it ended up moving from Ecuador, you've had four separate winners and each final has gone three sets. So Expect a lot of chaos on the clay, a lot of upsets, a lot of Cinderella runs, and a lot of really long, grueling matches. A lot of fun. One of my favorite tournaments of the year, probably my favorite clay court tournament of the year, besides the French Open, obviously. But if you expect chaos, this is the tournament for you. And to go through the re- the past winners, Londero ended up beating Pella in 2019. Green ended up beating Schwartzman in three sets in 2020. Then you had the Cinderella run of all Cinderella runs. You had Juan Manuel Sarandolo ended up winning in three sets against Ramos Vinolas as he had the Cinderella qualifier run, and he was able to win his uh, first and only ATP title, I believe. And then you have Ramos Vinolas, who ended up getting some revenge after losing in the final in 2021 as he won last year and beat Cinderella to be uh, to be low in three sets in the final. But the point is you have a couple of defending champions who are back, but I don't know how much it even matters because these this tournament is just flipping a coin, basically. Uh, but looking at the odds here, Schwartzman is the favorite at plus 400. Baez is plus 500. Sarundalo, the other one, uh, the former top third. I don't know if he's former, actually, but he's kind of been struggling. The ranked Sarundalo is plus 550. Then you have... Ramos Vanola's at 650. You have Tabilo at 12 to 1, Garin at 14 to 1. Then you have uh, the other Surundalo, the former champion, at 16 to 1. Then you have Coria at 16 to 1, Montero at 18 to 1, Martinez at 20 to 1, Galan at 22 to 1, Echeverria at 25 to 1. Uh, you have Baina at 28 to 1, Varias at 28 to 1 as well. And then you have a couple of series long shots like Gaston at 33 to 1. Uh, you have Lahovich and ba- and Bagnus at thirty three to one, and you have Kechanato at forty to one. I'm kind of jumping around to get the point, but first of all, I'm going to address the favorites. Under no circumstance in this event am I taking anybody that's five to one or six to one or lower. There's no point. This tournament, once again, is an absolute just slot machine. You spin it and you hope for the best. So there's no chance I'm going to take the guys who are the short odds. The only one that's tempting is Ramos Vinolas at 650 because he's made the final two straight times and he won the championship last year. 
So if you want to make a case for him, I can understand it at 650. But to look at the favorites here, I find the the first two favorites laughable. Schwartzman, I get it. He's Argentinian. He's one of the best players that Argentina has had in tennis in modern uh, tennis history. The problem is he's well past his prime. I've mentioned this in the Australian Open. I think he's washed at this point. No offense to him, but it, it is what it is. He's just not the player he used to be. And he's never won here. He ended up being a runner-up as he lost to Green in 2020. But the fact that he's favored here, despite the horrible form, I think is offensive. And I think it's based solely on reputation. Schwartzman, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the worst odds favorites I've seen in a long time in an ATP event. I know it's still 4-1, to one, but this is stupid. He's past his prime. He's never won here. There's no point. So Schwartzman, see you later. I'm not taking him. Uh, looking at Baez. Baez I really, really like as a player. The problem is he's had injury issues for the last couple of months, and as a result, his form's kind of fallen off a cliff. If he was healthy, I think he deserves to be the favorite in this event or at least be one of the favorites, but unfortunately, he's had some health injuries or health issues. There's no value at 5-1, to one, tossing him in the garbage as well. Sarundalo is tempting because upside-wise, he's incredible, and I think that he's really, really good on clay. He's also had a couple of form issues recently, not exactly injury-related, but he's just been a streaky player, and he might have peaked a little bit. I don't want to say soon, but it seemed like his level dropped significantly after having a phenomenal summer, and hopefully he can pick it back up here. But Sarandolo's interesting. He's a very talented player. If he made a run, it wouldn't surprise me. But I do think that at 550 for a player that's a little bit inconsistent and that's been in questionable form lately, I don't think there's value there at 550. Ramos Vinolas at 650. Once again, you can make a case that would be the one favorite, quote unquote, I'd be interested in because he's made the final two times in a row. And even though he can't serve, it doesn't matter on clay. And Ramos Vinolas has always been a very good clay court player. Uh, once again, if you don't remember, he took Alcaraz to five sets in the French Open. And I believe he had a couple of match points there. So Ramos Vinolas definitely no slouch on the clay. Keep an eye on him at 650. Uh, to look at the. Other guys, like Green's won here before. Is he in great form? Not really. So I'm not exactly sold on Green. I'm not taking Sarundolo, the other one. Uh, once again, he won the title here, but it was a Cinderella run of all Cinderella runs, and he hasn't really done anything since. No offense, but it just it is what it is. Uh, but if you're looking at his career tournaments, yeah, he's only won one. It's the only tournament he's ever won. It's, I believe, the only final he's ever been in. Uh, he's a career guy who's been in the 200s in terms of ranking or in the one the mid-100s, whatever. So he's never cracked the, the top 75, and I get that he won here in phenomenal fashion, but in reality, I just don't see it. He's done well in clay ch and challenger clay events as he won a couple of titles there in 2022, but historically speaking, there's no value at 16 to 1 for a guy that has really never been a threat at the ATP level besides one Cinderella run a couple years ago. But uh, to look at everybody else, I'll, I'll go through the draw quickly to kind of tie into the uh, outrights here. So, first of all, I'll look at Ramos Vinolas just because I mentioned him as being the only favorite, quote unquote, the only guy under 10 to 1 or 15 to 1 that I'd be tempted by. He has a buy in round one. Then you face off against Lahovich or Varius. I think it'll probably be Varius, but that's actually a pretty good match there. Varius, very just solid clay player. 
pretty quiet. People don't really know much about him, but he's been good in the challenger circuit. He took Felix to five sets in the French Open last year. Like 2 nothing, fell apart. Kind of a classic Felix maneuver. But Varius, good clay player. I think that could be a very competitive match. Baramos Vanolas, though, has a pretty favorable draw. He'd face off against probably Varius, then most likely Garin. Could be Pedro Martinez or Jao Souza or Echeverri. But Ramos Finolas should have a pretty decent path there. They need to face off against either Francisco Sarundolo or probably Coria, Montero, or Bagnus. Cancinato I really like. I know he made the deep run at the French Open X many years ago, but it's not exactly a great matchup because Bagnus is 3-0 against him in their careers. And he retired in his last event leading up to this tournament, so I'm not exactly sure about the health status of Cachinato. But Ramos Vanolas does have a pretty good path here to make a deep run, and I think because of that 650, I'm probably going to have to take, based on just the success here in the past and the, I'd say, overall favorable draw, I think Ramos Vanolas is worth a play there. But to go through everybody else, I will be focusing kind of in that same region, I am going to take Coria at 16 to 1, who historically speaking has also been a very good challenger guy on clay. Uh, but I do think that Coria, he's Argentinian, which has paid dividends here. You have had eight finalists, obviously, because you have four years that this tournament's run since moving to uh, Cordoba. And you've had an Argentinian in the final in three of the four years. You've had four Argentinians in total in the final, in uh, the four years it's run. Uh, what Last year, they didn't have an Argentinian in it. It was Ramos Vinolas against Tabilo, uh, who is Chilean. But the three previous years, you had an Argentinian guy, and you have had Argentinians win two of the four events here with Londero and Sarundolo. So not even high-profile guys for Argentinians. But they've done well here in the past, and I'm going to stick with an Argentinian here. I'll go with uh, Coria uh, at 16-1. to I'm a fan of his game. And I think that with the long rallies on the clay, Coria definitely has the skills to really surprise some people as a bit of a Cinderella here. His first match isn't easy against Montero, but Montero's been busy with hardcourt season with the with the Australian Open, etc. Coria ended up losing in five sets to Fuksovics. Very good match there. Fuksovics wasn't good form as he was up two sets against Sinner before physically fell apart. But Coria did spend the last couple of days or weeks playing clay events. So he should be, I'd say, ready from the get-go to play on clay. And I think Montero will be at a bit of a disadvantage playing on hard court leading up to this event. So I think Coria will be able to get by. But I'm a fan of his game. And I think if you want to look at his overall skill set, he definitely has the skills to pay the bills in clay events. And I think that when you're talking about a guy who has cracked the top 52 in his career, uh, he's currently hovering in the, inside the top 100, but the point is you're looking at his career, and he's won his fair share of events in his career. He's won 14 events. Uh, he's never actually won an ATP event, but he has won five challenger, uh, challenger events, and he's also won nine Futures events, but they're all on clay. All 14 titles are on clay. He's never made a final in any event besides clay, but he did end up winning in Chile, in Concepcion in January. So I mentioned a second ago he's been practicing on clay. He won an event. So I do like the fact that he's entering this tournament in good form. Uh, you can really go through his history. And on clay, he's made it to a lot of finals. Now, his record in finals is a bit hit or miss, 
But the point is, he has gotten to some deep runs in his clay career. I think it's a good spot for a breakthrough, or maybe a decent spot. We'll see. He's made one ATP final in his career uh, in the Swedish Open, played against Kasper Ruud and lost in straight sets. But he has made an ATP final, so I'd actually take it back. He has not won a title here uh, in the ATP, but I do think at 16-1, to I like the price there for a guy who I think is going to have a decent draw. I already mentioned that Montero might not be the easiest guy in the first round, but I think that with Correa playing on clay leading up to this event, he has a bit of an advantage, a unique advantage that most people don't have. And I think he's good enough to be Bagnus and Cacinato, and I think he's probably good enough to end up beating Sarundolo uh, since it's, once again, sh- it should be a very good match between two Ar- Argentines in the their home country. But, yeah, give me Correa at 16-1. to 1. I think that he's a good clay court player who could be some uh, a threat to be a serious dark horse in this event. To most people, but maybe not to me. Uh, looking at the other options here, I'm going to go with Baina at 28 to one. I, I just like him as an overall player. Baina has been successful for us on the show, and maybe I'll mention one of his matches coming up in a little while in the Lock and Dog segment. But the point is, that's kind of a spoiler there. But looking at Baina, he's also been a top 100 guy, and you're looking at his career. He has won an event before. He ended up winning in Ecuador in 2018. So it's actually kind of funny because he won this exact event. The only thing was he won it in Ecuador before they moved it. So the last year this tournament was in Ecuador, he won. So I think that Baina, who has been historically solid on clay, I just think at the end of the day, he's a guy who could be a serious threat to make a deep run at his price. He's won... 19 titles in Challenger and Future events. He won 10 in Challenger events and 9 in Futures. And looking at his results last year, he made four finals last year on clay. He ended up winning in May and in September. Uh, So he won his last final that he was in. Is he a consistent player? Not really, but he's another clay specialist who has been very solid. And I think that for his overall draw... It's really not bad. Now, looking at his first-round match, he's against Apata Marias. I think he'll win that one. That is against Galan or a wild-card entry uh, in uh, Tomas uh, Barrios Vera. So you're looking at the overall path for Baena. I think he's got a pretty good uh, path into the quarters. And then you probably face off against Baez, who's had injury issues in, issues in the past. So for value, I think Baena is a hell of a deal at around 28-1. to 1. I'm going to take that. I think that that's definitely worth a shot there. And besides him, I was trying to think of anybody else. I thought maybe Pedro Martinez, but matching up against Galan in the first round is not ideal, so I'm not going to take him. Do I want to make a case for Varius? Not really, because I'm not sold on his draw either. I think that his draw is a bit difficult. But when it comes down to it, I think that the best two prices for overall, I'd say, odds compared to what they should be, I think it's Ramos Vanolas at 650 because he's made the final in two straight years. He should easily be five to one, in my opinion, or lower. And then it's going to be Baina at 28 to one, which I just think is an absolute bargain for a guy that actually won this event back when it was in Ecuador in 2018 and for a guy that is a pretty favorable draw. So I like those options. Varias at 28 to one, I think you can make a case for, but looking at the draw for Varias. It is difficult, and Lahovich isn't exactly a pushover on clay. That should be a good match, but then Varese would take on Ramos-Vanolos in the second round. 
So I'm not going to pick him. Uh, if it was another spot on the draw, maybe I would. But for the overall first couple rounds, it's a little bit too tough for me to go to the window with him. So once again, my outrights for this event are going to be on Ramos Finolas at 650. I'm going to take Corey at 16 to 1. That's going to be my Argentine uh, choice of for the event. And I'm going to go with Baina at 28 to 1. Now moving on to, we'll go Dallas for this one. It doesn't really matter what order we go in, but we'll go for Dallas here. Uh, Fritz is the favorite at plus 300. Tiafo is the second at plus 450. You have Shapo at 550. Kekmanovic at 9 to 1. Giron at 14 to 1. Isner 14 to 1. Wolf at 14 to 1. Manorino 18 to 1. McDonald 18 to 1. Uh, and then you have a couple of long shots who I'm not going to consider. The only two long shots that I would maybe consider would be McDonald at 18 to 1. I'll say long shots being 15 or above. McDonald, I'd be tempted by because of the fact that he looked really good in Australia. The only issue was he got hurt in his match against Nishioka. So I am a bit concerned about his overall fitness level at this point in time, and I'm hoping he can actually keep it together for the entire tournament, which is kind of the only thing scaring me off of him. But I was impressed, and if you remember, I took him as one of my locks getting, or it was my dog, I think, getting 7.5 against Nadal, and he won the match. But... He had some physical issues, which has kind of plagued him in his career. So maybe that's an option, but I think I'll pass. I think Avashka 22 to 1 is a pretty good price. I just think Avashka is a pretty good player. And 22 to 1 for a guy that's had success in the ATP uh, circuit, I think, is definitely a pretty good option there at 22 to 1. That would be kind of my long shot option if I had to pick my favorite long shot. Is he going to win the tournament? Probably not. But I think that's probably worth a sprinkle just because I think that he should be closer to around, if I had to price it myself, probably closer to 15 to 1, something like that. But this tournament's been in existence for one year. It was a thing in the 80s, then it went under, and they brought it back last year, and Brooksby ended up losing in the final to Opelka, and Opelka's had some injury issues, so he is not in this event. But to look at the actual draw, I mentioned my long shot pick would end up being... Uh, Avashka. The problem is he'd play against Taylor Fritz in the second round if he was able to beat Jack Sock in the first round. I think he would be. Sock's had physical issues again lately. I think Avashka would win that, but against Fritz, that's a tough match. Uh, I think it would be close, but I think Fritz would probably win that, so I'm actually not going to take Avashka. I talk myself out of it. Uh, facing off against the favor in the second round is not ideal, and I think that's definitely not going to do him any favors, but to look at my picks for the event... There's one guy that I'm going to take automatically, and it's a guy that I've taken time and time again. He came up a little bit short in the Australian Open when I took him to win the quarter. It's going to be J.J. Wolf, Hell of a player. And he blew the two-set-to-one lead there against Eubanks. Great match. And he didn't break Eubanks for the entire five sets, but then he battled some leg injuries. He fell apart in the fifth set. It happens. When you're playing for for three-plus hours, your leg's going to give out on you, and that's what happened. But Wolf at 14-to-1, I really like those odds. I think that he's a very solid player. He's got a great forehand, and it serves pretty sneaky. I, I think that he's got a good shot to make a deep run here, and you're looking at Wolf's draw. It's quite favorable. To look at his overall matchups, he has a matchup against a qualifier in round one, then Albert or Crawl, a wild card who has about a I think it's a 250 to one shot. So Wolf should kind of cruise into the third round or into the quarterfinals, I should say. And then you face off against Tiafo or McDonald, most likely. 
difficult match, but I do think Wolf has the game to potentially beat Tiafo, and we know Tiafo can beat himself on occasion. But I think Wolf's going to kind of cruise into the quarters, and at 14 to 1, I like the odds there. So give me Wolf at 14 to 1, and I'm going to work backwards here. Tiafo, I thought about at 450. The problem is he'd face off against McDonald and then Wolf, most likely, which is a pretty difficult little gauntlet there, a mini gauntlet in the first couple rounds. So I'm, I'm going to pass on Tiafo. I think Shapo is interesting because Shapo lost the five set war against Herkaz, but you're looking at his overall draw. It's pretty favorable. And I think that Shapo has got an explosive overall skill set which could cause him to explode or potentially just cause him to go on a serious run. But you're looking at his draw as well. It's also solid. He has a buy in round one and faces either Gibbing or Momo. I'm probably going to assume Gibbing wins it. I think Shapo's going to beat him. I just think he has too much firepower. And then he's facing off against either Jordan Thompson, Dennis Kudula, Steve Johnson, or Manorino. So you're looking at his overall matchups. He has a very, very good draw to the semis. The problem is he'd have to face off against Fritz in the semis, but that's a good draw with a buy attached to it. 550, I think, is kind of tempting for a guy who should have a pretty easy go of it for the first couple rounds. Keep an eye on Gibbing, though. I think Gibbing's actually a very good player. I think he could potentially crack the top 30 at some point, uh, but I do think that uh, Gibbing is a guy who could be a guy who could put Chapo on up to alert, but I do think that you'll end up seeing Shapo just have too much firepower against him, and that'll be the story of it. But, yeah, Yibing's still pretty far away. I, I, I think that he could be a guy who could maybe crack the top uh, 30 at some point, but he's clearly not there now, so we'll see what happens. But either way, uh, looking at the price, once again, 550, I'll take it. Other than that, though, I think that's going to wrap it up for my outrights here. Not exactly sold than anybody else. Uh, is a tournament where it's hard court, so you're playing fast. Fritz at three to one, you can argue is worth it because he was in great form leading up to the Australian Open. However, the loss to Papyron kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth, and he's also not exactly, I think, a great option in terms of value. He should be a favorite, but I I don't know if I trust him enough at three hundred. So I'm going to pass, uh, but. I do think the two guys I mentioned have some value. Shapo is ex an extreme wild card if you want to pass on that. I don't blame you, but I'll lean to him at 550 because I think that he's got a very good path to the semis, and we'll see what happens there. Isner would have been a choice in, in past years, but physically he's uh, he's just not there anymore. I'm not going to make a case for Isner, after, especially after he fell apart physically against Manorino in the first round of the French Open. Uh, not the French Open, the Australian Open, sorry, a couple weeks ago, and I'm not going to take him as a result. So my outrights will be Shapo at 550 and Wolf at 14 to 1. And now getting into the last event of the show, it's going to be a matchup in France in Montpellier. I might have butchered the pronunciation, sorry, but I will say France from now on in case I offended anybody. So looking at the favorites in France, you have Sinner at 3 to 1, you have Rune at 4 to 1, you have Chorich at 8 to 1, Batista Good at 8 to 1, uh, Barreri at 16 to 1. Umbert 16 to 1, Bublik at 18 to 1, defending champion Bublik. Uh, you have Bonzi at 20 to 1, Sonigo at 20 to 1, Yemmer at 22 to 1, and Davidovich Fakina and Krajinovic at 22 to 1 as well. 
and then a couple of series long shots, which I'm not really going to make a case for. So looking at the history of this event, uh, you have a lot of French people who have won this event, but to go through the last couple of years, you had Bublik, who beat Zverev in a very impressive serving display by him last year to win. You had Golfen, who beat Batista Agut the year prior. Uh, you had Monfi. You had uh, Sanga, Luca Pui. Forgot about that guy. Shout out to Luca Pui. Uh, you had Zverev in 2017, and Gasquet has won this event four times in his in his career. So if you want to go based on just historical winners, Gasquet is kind of an autoplay if you want to go solely for that handicap because Gasquet's won this event four times, and you can get him a 28 to one. And he's also off an ATP title. Did a lose in the first round to Umber in the Australian Open, but he's going to have the entire crowd support. And you can make a case of 28 to 1 that maybe he's worth a flyer. I don't think he's going to win, but you can make a case of 28 to 1 that there are definitely worse long shot bets to make. But to look at the actual draw, to kind of cross reference here with the outrights, Sinner's the favorite. Should he be? Yes. The interesting part here, though, is that he just went five sets against Fuksovics in the Australian Open. And this is, of course, two out of three. He would potentially play Fuksovics in the second round. And I think Fuksovics is going to be really just poised to get revenge there. He let Sinner off the hook. And since he doesn't have to go three out of five, he would have beaten Sinner in the Australian Open if it used the same format as this event. So keep an eye on Fuksovic, who could potentially give Sinner a run for his money. Uh, besides that, though, uh, looking at Rune, who... Not going to lie, kind of burned me in the Australian Open. I took a flyer on him to win the event. In hindsight, horrible bet because Djokovic, I thought, was more hurt, hurt than he actually was as the tournament progressed. And then he choked away that match against uh, Rublev, which was painful. But he's got a pretty good path here. You're looking at Husor or a wild card followed by most likely, I'd say, Bereri or Lestien. You could argue Bublik, but form-wise, he's been terrible and... I'm surprised they let him show up at events at this point. So if I had to go based on value, I would go Rune as my favorite pick at 4-1. to one. Sinner I'd be tempted by. I think it's a tournament he could do very well in. But facing off against Fuksovic, the guy who he just had a war against in the Australian Open, doesn't exactly sit well with me. So I'm not going to take Sinner at 3-1. to one. Rune, I'll take it 4-1. to one, And I'll take Batista Agut at 8-1. to one. He gave it a hell of a ride there in the Australian Open. Fatigue was an issue because he just made a final the previous weekend. We picked him to make a run to the semis, and he came up a bit short. We ended up kind of hedging it because we took Tommy Paul as our lock against him, and Paul just wore him down in four sets. But Batista Agut, with, some, with a week off or so, he's been good here in the past. He's a very sturdy, hardcore player. I think it's a very good spot for Batista Agut to make a run. And you're looking at his draw – it's also favorable. Now, to look at who we'd have to face off against, it is really a good spot for him to make a deep run to the quarters or beyond because he'd face off against nobody in the first round, has a bye, then probably Gasquet, which should be a good match. But the point is, Batista Gut, if he gets past Gasquet, would have to face off against either Davidovich Fakina, Umber, or Hallis. Like, it's a really good draw for Batista Gut to make it to the semis. And kind of like my Shapo argument for the last event, if he can make it to the semis, I'll take my chances. And he has made the final here before, back in 2021. He was actually up a set against uh, Golfen before losing the last two sets. But he's been good here in the past, and I think at 8-1, to one, there's some value there. 
So I'll take him. And for my long shot, I really don't have one. Like I'm trying to make a case for somebody. I guess based on crowd advantage, you'd probably look to Gasquet at 28 to 1 because he's won this event four times. You know what? Yeah, I'll take a flyer on Gasquet at 28 to 1. Is he going to win it? Probably not. But I do think the value is there uh, for a guy that's a four-time champion in his home country to win it again at 28 to 1. So uh, once again, just to go through all of my outrights, I'll work backwards. Uh, my outrights for France are going to be on Brunei at 4 to 1. I'll take Batista Good at 8 to 1, and I will take Gasquet at 28 to 1. Uh, for my outrights in Dallas, I'm going to go with Chapo at 550, and I'll take Wolf at 14 to 1. Unfortunately, didn't see many serious long shots to take. I thought about taking Ivashka, and then I saw his overall draw face off against Fritz in the second round. I want nothing to do with that. So that's going to be my two picks for Dallas and my two picks for Cordoba. Uh, you're going to go with Ramos Vinolas at 650. Uh, my three picks, actually, for uh, Cordoba. We're going to take Ramos Vinolas at 650. We're going to take Coria at 16 to 1. And my series long shot will be Baina at 28 to 1. But that's going to wrap it up for the overall outrights. Now, before I actually get into the lock and dog segment for individual matches in the first round of these events, I'm going to take a quick word from our sponsors. SGPN is giving away $1,000 in their big game squares contest. It's completely free to enter. All you have to do is follow the SportsCam podcast on Spotify and give them a rating. Then go to sportscampodcast.com slash squares to enter for your chance to win a free big game square. And also make sure to sign up on the SGPN app to get your own big game bingo card full of all your favorite big game prop bets. If you get bingo, you get a $57 SGPN gift card. Once again, it's not a race. Anybody that gets bingo at any time in the game, you can get it with one second left. If you get it, you win a $57 gift card, and it's absolutely free to do, so why wouldn't you do it? Only catch is you must be subscribed to the Sports Game Podcast and the NFL Gambling Podcast on YouTube to win, free to play, and exclusively on the SGPN app. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. Just finished going through the outrights and the previews for the three ATP events taking place this upcoming week. Now it's time to get into the actual lock and dog segment. We'll look to get back on track. We had a great Australian Open, but it ended off going 0-2 in the final, so we'll look to get back on track here. And starting off with the lock, I will go to the match that I alluded to earlier in the show. It's an outright guy that I have. It's going to be Baina in his match up against Zapata Marias, and we're going to take Baina minus 1.5 games at minus 126. You can find 2.5 games at minus 125 or so on another book or 115, so you can find a great deal at 1.5 and I'm gladly going to take that at minus 126, especially since this play might seem a little bit familiar to some of you because we took this exact match or this exact head-to-head a couple weeks ago. We took Baina as our dog, actually, and he won straight sets. Historically speaking, Baina has owned Zapata Marias, and I think as a result, this is definitely a bargain deal. He's 5-1 and one in the career head-to-head, and for that reason, I do think that the current price of one and a half games is really just a steal. You can look at that, Dad. You've had the occasional three setters, but for the most part, Baina's dominated 
And I think as a result, this does seem a little bit short. Uh, just looking at the events here, it's 5-1. Marias's only win came on clay in 2020. They've played three times since 2022, two times on clay and one time in Pune in a hard court. And Baina's only dropped one set. And even with that match that he dropped a set in, he's covered this one and a half games every time. I think it's a great price. Give me Baina at minus one and a half games at minus 126 as my lock. And for my dog, I noticed a trend a long time ago in Cordoba, which is if just blindly take every match to go to three sets. It sounds stupid, but if you look at the historical events every year, every match is a war. It's just the style of the slow clay. These guys are going to kill each other. And I'm going to go to a match between Bagnus and Kecinato, and I will go with the over two and a half sets at plus 130. And I think it's definitely a great deal, especially based on the historical matchups. Uh, looking at the actual head-to-head here, Bagnus is 3-0 in the head-to-head, but there's been a lot of really long battles between these guys. And I think you'll end up seeing a pretty competitive match because of it. And Kecinato, I'm worried about the physical elements later for a long run. For the first round, we know he's a clay court specialist. He made a deep run to, I believe it was the French Open semis uh, X amount of years ago, beating Djokovic in the process. But you're looking at his career against Bagnus, and there's been a lot of wars. Now, they have faced off a long time ago, 2014 and 2015. They faced off in 2021 in Santiago. But to look at the matches here, Bagnus won in 2014, 7-6, Played again in Buenos Aires in 2015. Bagnus won in three. And in Santiago in 2021, Bagnus won in three. But the point is, you've had three head-to-head matches. The last two have gone to three sets. And the first one that didn't went to two tiebreakers. So I think this match has war written all over it. I think Bagnus probably wins. But you have Kecinato, who I know can play well on clay. And you have Bagnus with the home crowd behind him, who I also know can play well on clay. I see a war here. Plus 130 over two and a half sets, I think, is a good deal. And I'm going to take it. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tennis Gambling Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. We'll be back later on in the week to go through and some updated futures and to go through some updated matches, probably around the quarterfinals or semis. It's not going to be the Australian Open. We're not going to do a an episode every single round. We're going to save those for the Grand Slam events. But uh, you can also find me on the NBA Gambling Podcast and the NFL Gambling Podcast. Big week for the NFL because it is the final week of the NFL. We got the Super Bowl. So we're going to be doing a couple of episodes I'll be with Terrell doing some exotic prop bets and stuff like that, some DFS lineup, so it should be fun. And for the NBA, you have the All-Star break coming up, but we will be doing a trade deadline extravaganza, recapping some stuff, maybe doing a prediction episode for the trade deadline, not to mention all the actual game breakdown episodes that we do every day. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.